time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. All right, good. Okay. All right. Um, let's, let's pray together. And then we're going to dive in. We're talking about being misfits tonight. Jesus, we love you so much. And God, I thank you for DSM. I thank you for my family. I thank you for the way they love you. God, I thank you for all of the stories that I'm hearing about what you're doing in their hearts and their lives. Thank you for what you're doing in their times alone with you. Thank you for what you're doing in the prayer room as 14 and 15 and 16-year-olds sign up to lead worship. Thank you for what you're doing as on campuses. Thank you for these commitments to fasting. God, I'm just so grateful of all the God stories that are taking place. Father, we commit again to be your people tonight. And as we go out and we scatter, we go to be the people of God, and then we gather again, we worship, we pray, we study your word, and we scatter, and then we gather, and then we scatter, God. We want every week in these precious years on high school campuses across the city to be the Messiah's people, Jesus' people. We want to be your light to our city. We love you, Jesus. And everyone said amen. amen. All right, we're in 1 Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talking here. He's talking to a young church in Corinth. And so most of them are new believers. And we're reading out of the message, verse 9. It seems to me that God, Paul talking here, it seems to me that God, this is the message version. It seems to me that God has put us who bear his message. That means people that take the message of God and put it on them. So they're bearers of his message. They're heralders, both with their words and with their actions, with their lives. The way that they think, the way that they talk, the way that they act. It seems to me that God has put us who bear his message on stage in a theater in which no one wants to buy a ticket. Where something everyone stands around and stares at, like an accident in the street. We are the Messiah's misfits. So Paul here talking, and he's talking about what it's like to be the people of God. And he's essentially saying, all right, we're, we're God's people. And, and we're, by nature of believing in this Messiah, this man that came to earth, that claimed to be God, that then lived perfectly, died on a cross, rose from the dead, the whole, those who knew him go, surely he really is who he says he is. And then he ascended into heaven and we're the ones that follow him. We're of the tribe of people that have said yes to what the apostles, the disciples that followed him, they spread the good news. And now it's going around the whole known world. And, and Paul is actually a Jew and he's taking the good news of Jesus to the whole Gentile world. He's, he's spreading the gospel. He's a heralder. He's a messenger. He's someone who's taken the gospel, kind of put it on his back and said, I'm going to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's what he's about. That's, that's who he is. So the message of Jesus has transformed his life. Who Jesus is has caused him to do a 180. He's gone from doing what he wants to do and persecuting Christians to encountering Jesus, turning and going the opposite direction and going, I'll follow Jesus. So he's a guy going, doing his thing, persecuting Christians, and then encounters Jesus. Wow, I'll, I need to do a 180. Now I'm going 
toward Jesus, which is your story. If you're a ninth grader, 10th grader, 11th grader, 12th grader, wherever you're at tonight, you're someone that has said, I was doing my own thing. I could live for myself, but I, I've encountered Jesus. It could have been in worship, prayer, at retreat, alone with Jesus somewhere, in a prayer room, at, at the conference, whatever it is. But you encounter Jesus and you go, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I'm going to actually follow Jesus. And what it means to follow Jesus is that Jesus transforms my life. And then I become a messenger. I become a heralder. I become a proclaimer. I become a message bearer. But the the nature of becoming a message bearer, the nature of becoming someone that's different, that's been transformed by Jesus, is that those people that choose to live that way live by a whole different set of ideals. So when the world says, live for yourself, live for comfort, live for fame, live for money, live for yourself, the Christian or the Christ follower or the message bearer or the Messiah's misfit is someone who has said, because I think different, i.e. I've given my life to Jesus and now I'm a Christ follower and I don't live for self, that means that I have a different future end, goal. My, My end goal is not my own fame or my own comfort or, my, or, or, or to be wealthy or to be cool because I have an ultimate end that's different. My ultimate end is to know Christ and to share with his suffering and for him to be exalted. And when we sing, be exalted, O God, that, now that is what I'm living for. So there's a whole new, dy- new dynamic. And when you start to think different, you start to feel different. When you start to think different, you feel different. When you feel different, you begin to act different. When you act different in a culture that's all living for themselves, you become a misfit. You, you, you act differently. And it, it, if, you're, if we're honest, as Christ followers, it creates a lot of sometimes socially awkward moments. Now, to be a church brat doesn't make you awkward. If you're, if you're a kid that has one foot in the world you know, and kind of doing what everybody does, and then you just go to church, and you just kind of follow the crowd. You follow the crowd in the world, and you follow the crowd in church. You're not a misfit. You're, you're just, no, nobody, you're nothing. I mean, you're just, you're, you're, for you, you're, nobody looks at you and goes, wow, it's, it's not, that's what, that's normal in our culture. We live in a post-Christian culture where that's kind of accepted. And so people in church accept it because that's kind of normal. I go to church, but I don't really, you know, live with, exuberance or dedication to God, or I, 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 I'm at school and those people, you say you go to church, nobody's, you know, in, a, in an age of relativism, nobody looks at you and goes, well, and to go to church is like, that's normal, that's normal in our culture, there's lots of people that go to church, but, but to be someone that says, when you want to talk about my future and when you want to talk about what I live for, when you want to talk about what makes me tick, what makes me who I am, The thing that I live for is the exaltation of Christ and for him to be known in the earth and for him to be fully exalted in my own life and fully exalted in the earth. Well, you start going that direction and then you don't really fit in. And you'll find yourself in moments where you'll have to commit to holiness or commit to prprayer or commit to fasting in an environment where all of a sudden people look at you and go, dude, that's weird, That's, that's different. And the nature of a misfit is they find themselves in socially awkward positions all the time. Scenarios. Which I think if you look at DSM, we're used to, right? 
At DSM, we kind of like socially awkward moments. I've got, we've got some misfits that have just kind of, you know, planked out all over town. Right? That's, that's, uh, we, we got a couple up here. This is, we got Nicole. This is Nicole at Target. There's no doubt in my mind, Nicole does not mind an awkward moment. Nicole, are you here? You here? All right, let's give her a hand. There she is. All right. Okay, so this is Nicole. She's like, sweet, I'm going to... I don't mind being a little awkward at Target. I mean, everybody lays on the cash register. That's, that's what people do, you know. That's, that's normal. We got some people willing to be actually a bit socially awkward even at school. A boy, Cody, right here. This is Cody. All right. Now, now this is Cody. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what kind of example this sets right here. But that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's funny. Right there. So there's Cody. Cody, Cody, you here tonight? Where's Cody? There he is right there. Let's give him a hand. Good job. All right. My favorite one, Emily Tharlson. Throw it up there. There's Emily. There's my favorite. All right. There's Emily. Emily, where you at? Down front. Okay, there she is. All right. There's Emily at high school. You got some people noticing right there. See, like that girl right there. You can see the girl kind of laughing right there. Like, check that out right there. So when I see these, and, and this kind of popped up in my mind, because, you know, we talked about this whole planking thing, and this whole kind of planking thing kind of started, and kind of funny, and I just began to think about this fact that we like to be socially awkward sometimes. <laughs> and, 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 and if I look at you guys, I mean, I could have done pictures of you guys being socially awkward in the planking thing, like, all night. I mean, we got lots of pictures. I just chose three. And so I just began to imagine, you know, if it's in us, if we're willing to be socially awkward for planking, what, what, what's in us that makes it okay to be awkward for planking? I, I, I mean, maybe because it's fun, and, and in the name of fun, we'll be, we're willing to be kind of awkward. Maybe because maybe, maybe you, you want the scholarship, and so whoever has you know, the best planking picture, whoever's voted is going to get a scholarship, and so maybe it's financially driven, you know, like, hey, I need the free thing. Whether it's money or fun or maybe it's just the attention, you know, the, the attention of everybody noticing that you're different. But what would happen if that same motivation, that same kind of thing that's Willing to be awkward to plank. What if we were willing to be awkward for the gospel? What if we were willing, there's Emily Tharlson laying on a locker, <laughs> you know? There's Nicole at Target, Cody in algebra class or biology or physical science or whatever that was. What, 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 what? Pre-cal? All right, there you go. Smart guy. What would happen I'm, 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 just, I'm talking about you. What if you were willing to embrace socially awkward scenarios for the sake of following Jesus? I think that's what Paul's getting at right here. I think that's what Paul feels because here's Paul and, and Paul feels he's talking about how he's feeling rejected and how he's feeling like he doesn't fit in. And even the analogy that he uses here in the ancient world, when the Romans here would go off to war, when they would 
win in battle, they would bring the spoils or the victory uh, or the money or the treasures, and they would have a parade, and they would, they would bring the treasures back through town. And the very last thing that they would bring in was the captives. It was, it was people that had been captured, and they would bring them in, and they would often you know, take them then to the arena where they would lose their life, and people would laugh because those were the captured. Those were the people of a different tribe, and they were not accepted in the Roman culture, and they were going to take them in, and they were going to actually lose their life in the arena. And so that's what Paul's talking about here when he's talking about himself. He's saying, the nature of the burden that I bear by taking on the name of Christ is so extreme. I'm so, I'm so different because I've said yes to Christ. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like I'm one of those people being brought in and taken to the arena, but nobody even wants to buy a ticket. Social rejection is a part. And if you look at people that say yes to Jesus, not only will there be kind of the commitment, I'm willing to be different, but when you are transformed by the renewing of your mind and so you begin to think different, it affects your emotions, and when it affects your emotions, you start to act different, and when you're out in the world, you actually are different. It forces the decisions that you make, the ways that you respond. And we see it in Jesus. I mean, Jesus had socially awkward moments. John chapter 2 is an incredibly awkward moment. When you read about Jesus, when he starts his ministry and when he ends his ministry, two times he clears out the temple. Like he goes in, and in John 2, you can read it. But he goes in and he says, he sees people in the temple and they're making money and they're ripping other people off who are trying to get close to God and They're using that desire to know God or connect with God to make money. And so Jesus gets mad. If you read the story, it's interesting because Jesus goes in to the temple and he becomes so angry. He makes a whip out of cords. Which, uh, how do you find cords? Most of the commentators say that he probably left the temple, went out to a tree, the tree, found some vines, came back in, and began whipping people. That's not the Jesus with the little lamb, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's, that's a little scary. I mean, this is Indiana Jones, Jesus coming back into the temple, and he's, and he's and, and so if you're one of the disciples, that's a, that's a scary moment because you're like, Jesus, this is not how to win friends and influence people. (laughs) If you really want people to accept you, don't beat them. (laughs) Don't yell at them. Right? Isn't that true? And yet, if you're one of Jesus' disciples, surely you're watching the whole thing. You're like, oh, no, 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 not the zeal for his house has consumed me. Pull out the whip thing. No, no, no. You know, here he goes. Awkward. Jesus, are you, are, you, are you really going to call the religious leaders snakes again today? Because every time you call them vipers, it's just awkward. They don't like it. It happens over and over and over again where Jesus creates, if you will, awkward moments. Moments that in that society and that culture weren't accepted. For Jesus, 
to get down. John ate, drawn the dirt. Woman caught in the act of adultery, ready to be stoned right there. Religious leaders say in the Mosaic law, this woman should be stoned to death. What do you say? Jesus lays in the dirt. You who's without sin cast the first stone. Jesus actually stands and corrects religious leaders. And there's a sense of grace and kindness for this adulterous woman. They begin to drop their stones, walk away, starting with the oldest. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, who condemns you? No one. Well, then neither do I condemn you. And in that culture for this young rabbi to demonstrate such kindness to this woman created all kinds of ripples. And Jesus, the man without sin, goes and he sits where no one sits. No one, no one gives dignity to such a woman. No one goes and sits with the sinners and the tax collectors. And yet Jesus goes, it's an awkward moment because all the religious people are like, Jesus, this is weird. and This is not what we do. And yet Jesus breaks the trend. And it's awkward. There he is, the son of God, the perfect one, sitting with drunkards and tax collectors and the, part, the people that you're not supposed to associate with. And there he is. And you know what it's like. You know what it's like when the super Christian kid hangs out with the biggest party crowd, right? There's the awkwardness. I, I, I remember in high school it happening over and over again. Going into the party, and it was like a party, and then when Perkins got there, it was like, party with a, ooh, awkward. Are, are you going to, And then the whole goal is you try to zero in and be like Christ and talk to them and be accepting and loving, not be judgmental, but even your existence in those moments, being there is awkward. Every time you stand for righteousness in the midst of unrighteousness, it's awkward. I remember taking a group of teenagers to China in 2001 for, for New Life, right here. And we got to China, and we went with this, this missionary. And this missionary was so cool. I mean, this guy was, you know, his buff, blonde hair, 34 about. He was like, coolest guy. And... We would all kind of, you know, we'd joke around and talk. And this guy would not engage in any unwholesome talk. I mean, anytime somebody kind of slammed somebody else, this guy just smiled. And it was like, you know, stonewall non-gossip right there. You know, like, will not slander. Will not. And it started to almost create this awkwardness. Kind of like, come on, man, we're just kidding. Just joking. And he's just... It's awkward. And yet, and yet it's what being a misfit is all about. And as you say yes to Jesus, as you step into being a a misfit, I want to tell you you're stepping into many socially awkward situations. And that's your privilege. 
and that's your joy, and that's how you shine the light of Jesus. Half the time you think, you know, you sing the song, I will go, I will live the life, and give it all for Jesus, you know, we sing the song. When you, when you, when you picture what that means, a lot of times we picture kind of like this, I'm going to glow for God, you know? People are, I'm going to be so smiley and nice until people ask me why. But nobody ever asks you why. Nobody looks at a nice person and goes, whoa, why are you so nice, man? It's a false concept. It doesn't exist. Nobody looks and goes, how'd you get so sweet? Tell me the secret story. Give me the gospel, bro. No. No. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. The way that people see the gospel is when you stand in what seems to be an awkward moment. And you stand for sexual purity in a sexually impure culture. And you stand for prayer when nobody else is. And you contend for fasting. And everybody else goes, not eating? Are you dieting? And you go, no, I'm fasting. Like, what's fasting? You go, where you don't eat so that you can voluntarily give yourself to God, forego the pleasures of this world for the pleasures of eternity. And they go, you're weird. You go, misfit, what's up now? What I'm telling you, though, is that you are going to, as, as a misfit, social awkward, socially awkward situations happened for Paul, happened for Jesus. I think it happened for Joshua. Joshua is one of my heroes. Joshua was a young leader when he was young, and he kind of became an old man leader when he was old. And I just think Joshua is really cool. I just like, I just like, I like the name, you know, just Joshua. It just sounds like a man of God, you know. I just love I love Joshua, but there's the story of Joshua. I just want to read it real, a little bit. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, and I'm going to read out in NIV. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city, God speaking here, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams, horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound of a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give out a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. So here's what God says. God says, Joshua, for 40 years, you guys have been wandering to the desert and you've been waiting for this moment where you go in to take the city. And I have a strategy for you. Here's the strategy. It's not, it's not on a battlefield. It's not God sending fire from heaven and burning up Jericho. Here's what it is, Joshua. I want you to take your soldiers. And Joshua's like, yes, God. And you want me to go in and just kill everyone, right? And you will give me like Samson muscles and I will just rock this. And God goes, no, no, no. I want you to walk around the city. What? I want you to walk around the city. <coughs> then what? Go to bed. What? <laughs> you to walk around the city? Uh-huh. All right. Second day, Joshua, I want you to walk around the city. Really? Yeah. And on, I want you to do it for seven days. On the seventh day, 
I want you to walk around the city seven times, but I want you to blow horns. For real? That's our plan? Like, preordained before the foundations of the world, the way that we win the city is I'm going to blow some trumpets by walking? That's the plan. Imagine the absurdity, the awkward moment for Joshua, day one. You know, we always read Isaiah 62 around here and we talk about, you know, the watchman on the wall. And so that idea is that on a wall in the old cities, they would set watchmen who would protect the city. So you can imagine that in Jericho, they had some watchmen that were watching these Israelites start walking around the city. And I can't imagine, it's like the two old men on the Muppets, you know, like two old guys just watching these guys walk around the city. And they're like, what are those guys doing? Oh, that's the threat. Uh, Those guys believe their invisible God is going to um, take us out. What's their plan? Walk around the city. Why do they have horns? They toot those horns often. Really? Yeah. They have swords? No, they just walk around and toot horns. That's what they do. That's their strategy. Six times, seven. Can you imagine? I just want you to picture the faith, the awkwardness. You're, I mean, you are Joshua. You're a warrior. I mean, when we read about Joshua and the way that he's already, like, defeated the Amalekites, I mean, Joshua's a man's man. I mean, this guy is, I mean, he's, I mean, he's Preston Coles times 10. I mean, the guy is just cool. You're cool. All right. That's a, that's a compliment. You know, he's like, he's a, he's, you know what happens? Around and around and around they go. Imagine if you're Joshua. I don't know if this ever crosses his mind, but you're not sure what's going to happen. God just says, you're going to go in. Joshua's like, are we going to like ascend up into the air and land on them? Are we, is fire coming from heaven? And you just walk in faith. Around and around and around. Imagine what Joshua felt the moment that the walls started to crumble. Can you imagine that? I mean, his whole life he's been waiting for the moment where God delivers them. And just the walls start to crumble. But it took great faith to do the same awkward thing every day. What are you doing? You going in with spears? No. Trumpets. Oh, that's powerful. Oh, yeah. You're going to, like, run in on the city? No, we're going to walk around it. Why? God said to. This is God's battle. And this does not go, no, no spoils, no victor, no credit goes to us. It goes to Yahweh. It goes to the God of the ages. You know what your story is? Your story? Awkward moments. Fasting on Tuesdays. Leading your prayer meeting. Having conversations with people. Being faithful. Doing the things that God tells you to do. Stay the course. And there will be a moment. Some of you will see some of the fruit on earth. Some of you will see it in eternity. But imagine the moment where your walls fall down. Imagine the moment where you see it, where you go,
God, you used every day that I prayed, every time, every conversation about Jesus, every act of kindness, even though I felt socially awkward when I stood for purity, even though I felt awkward when I decided to go voluntarily without legitimate things in order to fast, when I led a prayer meeting, whatever is the thing that Jesus has called you to do, you will experience awkward moments. It's part of Christianity. And it's your joy. It's your privilege. It's, I mean, it, you just got to reframe. Reframe from my win is all the guys on the football team thinking I'm cool or the girls on the football team thinking I'm cool or whatever is your win, you know, from, or all the guys on the cheerleading team. It's, these are different days, you know, like, uh, he, he, you got to redefine your win. And if your win is not what they think of you, but what he thinks of me. And you, it's not token cute. There is a God. He is real. He is a rewarder of those who seek him. He does give real rewards. He does reward those who walk in faith. And we are a tribe of people that believe that and stand in it and contend for it. Amen? Yeah. Amen. All right, here's what I want to do. I want to pray for... Uh, I want to pray for you. I just want to pray for everybody. Will you just stand your feet? And uh, we're not going to do like a ministry time tonight. I want to pray over you. And then I want to do two quick family business things real quickly, okay? Stretch out your hands like this. Just stretch them out. Father, in the powerful name of Jesus, we come before you so grateful to be your tribe of people. So thankful for the way that you work. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to initiate awkward moments for the sake of the gospel. To so be a light in a dark world that sometimes the darkness doesn't understand it. The darkness is confused by bright, shining righteousness. I pray that you would give my friends grace and strength as they go into their public schools this week. I pray that you would bless them and help them. I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray, Lord God, that you would be their strength. Not the memory of DSM. Not the memory of their campus group not the family even that they come from, as much as God and God alone is their strength. You are their rewarder. We thank you for what you're going to do, God. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.